0: Hey, I'm Nolan. Hi, I'm Consoria. Hey, this is Grace. And I'm Sally. We're your hosts. You're listening to Ask Your Public Health Friend, the podcast, where we answer all of your questions using a public health perspective.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the last episode of season one. Woohoo! Yay! Today we're going to take the time to do a little recap. We'll also be sharing about some of the topics we're really currently interested in. We've got everyone here today live in the studio. So let's get
2: started. let's kick things off with a little recap of season one ladies which episode was your favorite or least favorite to produce and why
1: my favorite was um the recent one about climate change uh i think because it was like such a high interest topic for me i thought it was fun to talk about um and i feel like we're also knowledgeable about it Um, Even though we did do some background research, I feel like we all were just like building off of what each other were saying because we're we're so passionate about it, you know, so we have like all of these things and we just want to keep talking about climate change all the time.
3: I think on a similar topic, I really enjoyed our conversation about single-use plastics um, because I hadn't really thought too much about the implications of single-use plastics on things other than the environment. Like we talked about obviously the environment, but we also talked about maybe some social implications or economic implications. And I enjoyed kind of dissecting
0: those topics with you all. I think it's both a, a love and hate relationship with this episode. And I know you all know which one I'm talking about, but the toxins The prep work was a little bit difficult just because we struggled to kind of get everything together because it was a broad question and there were so many different angles to incorporate or to consider. But I feel like I learned the most during that episode because there were just different things that I knew about, but I feel like we kind of took it in depth during that episode. So even though the prep work was a bit of a struggle, I feel like the outcome was super rewarding.
2: For me, I really enjoyed our third episode, One Medicine and Public Health Unite. So in that episode, we invited our knowledgeable Dr. Martine Molata, who shared some insights on how to um, establish a healthy collaboration between these two professions, medicine and public health, and the importance of such collaboration, especially in the scenario of current pandemic and it was interesting and relaxed conversation. If you haven't already listened to it, I highly recommend you all to listen to it.
0: Yes, definitely.
2: So next one. In which episode did you learn the most new or interesting information? For me, it was the toxin episode that Saui
1: mentioned because... I skipped the recording because I wasn't ready, and I didn't want to do the research, unlike the other three ladies. Um, but I learned a lot. Because the truth I- comes <laughs> out.
0: That's why you five episodes later. <laughs>
1: yeah. But I was the editor for it, so I had to listen to it over and over, and I learned a lot from you guys. Thank you for breaking down the information, doing the research, and, you know, relaying it in such uh, an easy to, like, in a listenable way. So that was was the one I learned the most about. The most interesting one was the one with Irene, because she was so fun to talk to, and her insights... As a doctor and the fact that she values public health as well uh, and how she talked about how her colleagues are like, "Oh, but you're already a doctor like what's the point in you getting a public health degree so
2: that was insightful I think for this question, I would say the toxing episode because it was the toughest but densest episode. We started with an introduction to rachel Carson's Silent Spring and then jumped to the um, drawbacks of U.S. chemical regulations under the um, Toxic Substance Control Act. And we talked about things like 90-day window and limited regulation of certain chemicals um, in a multitude of uh, manufactured products. And of course, these drawbacks uh, work synergistically with all kinds of Um, disparities which already existed and even embedded in a society such as NIMBY, not in my backyard. In the end, the ramification from the synergy is the concern regarding environmental justice and environmental racism. I think it's a really interesting topic and it has a lot of uh, contents to learn. Yeah. I like it in that way, not not the prep part. <laughs> I think for me the most interesting. So I,
0: I know I shared about the toxins episode, innocent until proven guilty, and just learning a lot and going deeper. But I would say in terms of things that I didn't know before, and that was I found very very interesting, probably the plastics episode because one thing I remember even from like to this day is what Nolan said about every day we eat about a bottle caps worth of plastic. So the other day I was actually looking at my food and I was like, there's probably plastic in here. Oh well. <laughs> so it's just kind of like that that new knowledge that stuck with me since then. And then I would also add more recently, last week we did the climate change episode and I thought Nolan and um, Consori did a really great job piecing everything together and explaining how climate change is an environmental justice issue. And I feel like on the surface, I kind of understood, but just understanding like specific scenarios in which it is an environmental justice issue was really interesting. So I would say plastics and climate change episode for me.
3: For me, I I agree with you all about the toxins episode. That definitely required the most research and it was, I think, probably our most information-heavy episode, facts-heavy episode, rather than just kind of casual discussion amongst all of us. Um, But I also really enjoyed listening to the episode with Irene. I wasn't able to be there for that, but she just, she has a way of speaking in such a kind of positive way um that's really inspiring to listen to especially when she talks about the bridging of the worlds of
2: medicine and public health as new podcasters how would you describe your experience so far
0: hosting a podcast is a lot of work i feel like i've heard this before like i was told know if you're gonna do a podcast just recognize that it is gonna it has to be a priority if you want it to succeed and then like actually doing it you really do feel that um but it was also a really good lesson just because you're sort of forcing yourself to put your like you're putting yourself out there right and for me at least that was a good way to hold myself accountable knowing that well there's going to be all kinds of people people that we know and people that we don't know listening to this material, so I'm going to want to make it good, or I'm going to want to put effort into it to make it something that is, that I would enjoy listening to, so there was, I feel like once you get started, it naturally kind of holds you accountable, assuming that you want to do well as a podcaster. (laughs) It
1: was a lot of work, um, and I truly recognize the amount of work when I edited just one episode out of the entire season (laughs) so you know I I commend you and thank you Sally for like editing almost every week and on top of all your other editing work like I don't know just listening to the audio over and over again like thankfully the episode I edited I I wasn't the one talking in it so I was it was t- fine, you know, to listen to. It was enjoyable. But sometimes when, when you do the rough cuts of the other episodes and then I listen to it, oh my gosh, and I just hear my voice and I still can't get used to it. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I think the work that goes into it, uh, but also surprisingly fun because of the people that are working together, you know, and I feel like it's kept my mind sharp. Uh, I don't know if I'll be an active participant during a seminar <laughs> because... I get shy then, but, you know, this has
3: kind of boosted my uh, maybe public speaking. I agree with the the voice thing. It is kind of strange to hear yourself talk. The way I think I sound in my head isn't the way I actually sound when I hear myself talking, which is like took a little bit of time to get used to. But I, I agree with the time thing. Um, So before, when you listen to a 30-minute episode or 45-minute episode, you're like, everything flows so well, everything sounds really good, but it's a lot more work um, than you think it takes to produce an episode where you, after cutting everything down, you are left with a 30-minute, 45-minute, or an hour-long episode. And kind of the research behind making the episodes is... um, not only a really good learning opportunity for us as we're trying to gather information, but it's also a time-consuming one. Um, but I think overall, it's been a really good experience um, and a really good way to be in this casual environment, but also learn about and listen to other perspectives.
2: I, I think I take this experience as a way to learn something new, to. Like from you all, from our research, and also from our audience who um, posted these interesting questions. Also, thanks to technology, I think it's been a really wonderful experience and a a great social time once a week during the pandemic to stay connected while practicing social distancing and. Um, discuss public health with my lovely friends.
0: Obviously, today's episode is pretty momentous since it marks the completion of, actually in total, 11 episodes, including our trailer. Pretty good, pretty good. 11 episodes of Ask Your Public Health Friend And as important as it is to reflect every now and again, it's also important to look ahead. So ladies, let's talk about some of the topics you are really interested in at this point in time, and perhaps even topics that our listeners can expect to hear about in season two.
2: I'm interested in talking about vaccination, such as herd immunity. We heard a lot uh, during the pandemic and improving vaccination demand and also addressing vaccine hesitancy. Before the 1950s, diseases like polio, whooping cough, measles, and rubella put infants, children, and adults in great peril as vaccine became Available later on, these diseases slumped and most of them are nearly gone from the United States. However, even though the US has very low rates of vaccine-preventable diseases right now, it doesn't mean that it'll still hold true for the rest of the world. Due to globalization, cases can be imported or exported from one country to another, um, as most vaccine-preventable diseases are spread from person to person for sure Uh, therefore if one has been vaccinated this person cannot get that disease and cannot spread it to other people if one or two cases of disease are introduced into a community uh, where most people are not vaccinated then outbreaks will occur very likely so here leads to the importance of herd immunity to build such herd immunity where the majority of the population is immune to a specific disease. It entails a comprehensive understanding of the determinants of um, such hesitancy, which allows us to further develop strategies to improve uh, immunization uptakes. I think this topic is pretty relevant to the current um, low vaccination rate and also applies to uh, COVID-19 vaccine uptake when it comes available later, so I think it might be a good topic for our next season.
1: I agree, that would be a good topic, and when we return for season two, you know, hopefully there will be, like, <laughs> considerable updates, you know, the vaccine maybe has arrived or something, I don't know. I am really interested in discussing topics related to food access and disparities, so, like, depending on where one lives. Um, recently for my other
3: internship. Oh
1: my um, <laughs> How many internships should, do you have?
3: We should oh, have, we have, like, two. a bingo, bingo card for each code. How many times? Yeah, it's like every time Consoria mentions her internship, like, <laughs> X out that box.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all I do in the summer. Um, anyway, uh, I had to look at New York City data for environmental health and justice and stuff like that. And uh, the NYC Department of Health, they have profiles on each district. And there was um, a set of data that showed the supermarket to bodega ratio. So um, so w- for Washington Heights, the supermarket to bodega ratio is one to 13, Upper West Side is one to three, uh, somewhere in the South Bronx is one to 25. And so like to give a scale of what these ratios mean, so the healthier end of the spectrum is a smaller ratio, and the smallest ratio that exists in New York City is 1 to 3, whereas the less healthier end of the spectrum is 1 to 57 bodegas, and that's located in bed Um So for... Our listeners that are unfamiliar with bodegas um, they're small convenience stores they sell they sell staples like um, snacks over-the-counter stuff household items non-perishables sometimes have a deli counter and stuff like that uh, basically they're not known for selling fresh produce uh, or having a lot of options or healthy options like a supermarket um, you know I think bodegas are fine I think they're like great for when you need to grab a quick snack or a pantry staple um, you know, I don't need for like everything to be super healthy and green. Uh, but, you know, I also acknowledge that I can say this because I have access to healthy options and that I'm able to get them for myself. Uh, but then like after looking at the data, like 1 to 57 in Bedside, that sounds crazy. Like, that means um, supermarkets are really inaccessible for uh, that area bodega owners they have a thin profit margin so stocking their stores with fresh produce is very risky since um produce have a short shelf life and it costs a lot more than the usual stuff you see in bodegas and then like nolan already mentioned um Neighborhoods that lack access to healthy options, they have a higher rate of obesity and diabetes, so I feel like this is a topic we can explore further because there's like so many components to it. you know it could be like um distance to supermarket is a barrier, a uh, lack of good public transportation for people to take to get to healthy options, or maybe they don't have enough farmers' market or like I feel like in our neighborhood we have like the fruit stand vendors, and they're really cheap so Uh, I mean I don't know how that works for other cities but I got three zucchinis and an eggplant for two (laughs) dollars get it girl
0: yes
1: (laughs) so just let y'all know about the good deals out there uh yeah or maybe like there's not enough community gardens um like we discussed in our climate seminar like the fight for space in New York it's like either for housing or uh green space you know
3: so lots to talk about I think also, sorry, one more thing. I think it also touches on kind of how neighborhoods are divided. It also touches on socioeconomic status. And I mean, we talked about this in our last episode um, about where are people more likely to invest various resources in different neighborhoods? And, you know, are you going to build a supermarket in like, a rich, like, Upper West Side versus, you know, so, it's a lot to unpack here.
1: Yes, Nolan, save it for season two.
3: Yes.
0: <laughs> save it for season two.
3: I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't want to give away too
0: much. Um, I, I agree, and actually, very similar to you, Consoria, I'm also interested in food. Um I think taking a step back I'm interested in food production systems so when we talk about fresh pr- produce I'm really interested in the sort of farming and the agricultural part um just because as we discussed last week climate change is very much real and it's happening and it may be wiser for us to sort of adapt with the times instead of trying to sustain our normal or our you know, traditional way of growing food. And this is something I actually focused on during second semester of our first year. And you all know I was working with Ziska, my professor, my advisor, Louis Ziska, shout out to you. Um, But he had some really great just advice and insight to this issue. So I'm definitely interested in learning a lot more about like the growing of food, right? And what that's gonna look like maybe in five years, 10 years, 20 years from now. Um, and there's two other things that I'm really interested in. The other is kind of, it's very unrelated actually, but uh, Consoria kind of know this, Consoria kind of knows this already, but I'm like slowly trying to get my foot into the femtech or like health tech world. Um, so I'm really interested in exploring or understanding ways in which technology can you know, support some of the public health um, goals that we're trying to achieve or, you know, address some of the health disparities that we often talk about. I think right now what I'm seeing is there's a lot of technology related to one's, like individual health, you know, like there are monitors for cardiovascular disease or there's technology to support new mothers who are trying to breastfeed. Um, Just a few examples of what I've seen this year, but I think I'm really interested in understanding how technology can uh, serve populations, right? Like what can we do or how can we use technology within our food growing systems so that we are able to feed a lot more people or provide um, increased nutrition for X amount of people. Um, So I really wanna see that on a larger scale and kind of understand ways that we can take advantage of technological advancement. Um, And then the last thing is sort of related to what you were saying, Nalin, about, you know, when we talk about food access and building a market, you you were saying how, like, some people may think, are you really going to build a supermarket in this neighborhood when, you know, the socioeconomic status is this? Like, would we even be able to thrive as a business if these are our customers that we're targeting? So one of the things that I'm really interested in as well is, like, this idea that, some people are deserving or more deserving of health care or like adequate food or adequate housing compared to the rest of the population. Like I know you all know, I probably spent like quite a bit of time on TikTok, but I cannot wrap my head around this idea or like people who believe that the like you just have to earn your spot in this world or in this country at least. You know, there's just people who really don't believe that everyone should be healthy or have access to healthcare. You know, they they really don't see that connection or they don't believe it for whatever reason. Um, and I'm sure there is a, a, a good reason. And then if there's not, I wanna address it. And even if it is a good reason, I still wanna address it. But I only say that because Nolan, you've said something throughout this season that I really resonated with me and that's you can't have a thriving economy without healthy people. And that's what I'm, I like clearly see that distinction. I see that connection and I'm just like, why doesn't everyone else see that? Like if you wanna live in a thriving society, economy and a nation, we need everyone to be healthy so that we can all contribute, we can all do our part. We can all live fulfilling lives. And I just don't think that people see how your success benefits me and how my success benefits the next person and so forth. So those are three things that I'm really interested in and hopefully that we get to talk about next season. Maybe with Ziska, I don't know. Maybe we'll introduce you all listeners to Ziska. You keep hearing his name, but eventually we'll get him on at some point so he can share his wisdom.
3: For me, I know we talked about this a bit on this season, Um, but I, am interested in talking more about climate change and more so the maybe not so direct impacts of it, um, and specifically how climate change can act as a stressor on different systems, um, obviously natural, but also maybe social, um, and then how that might impact our health and well-being, um. Like I know there, there are lots of systems, maybe like food systems in certain parts of the country and in the world that work fine now, um, but what does that look like? Like you were saying, Saui, maybe like five, ten years from now when climate, um, when changing climates is becoming more and more of a, an issue, how does that impact, how does that stress out those current systems um, and then in turn impacts us humans? Um, that rely on those systems.
0: Everything that you all had to say sounds super exciting, y'all. I feel really good about what's to come.
3: Listeners, it's about that time. We want to remind you that you can head over to our site, askyourphfriend.com, and submit questions for season two.
1: We're also interested in your feedback as we prep for another season. Feel free to reach out to us through our website or Instagram account, at askyourphfriend. Uh, You can leave a comment on there, DM us questions as well, you know, write positive comments to support us. (laughs) Repost um, our Instagram posts, you know, just, yeah,
0: shameless promotion over here. And if you like what you hear and what we're doing, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Shout out to the two reviewers that already did that.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. We really appreciate your support. Take care, and we'll catch you in season two. We are your hosts, and this is Ask Your Public Health Friend, the podcast. Bye.